We're living in what is being called a methane moment. Methane levels have never been higher. And the opportunity to do something about it has never been better. I'm Dugan Lloyd, and on today's episode of Cop Talk Across the Pond, I'll be talking to Katie McDougall from the University of Strathclyde. polluter of all greenhouse gases and is a direct result of human activity. Methane is emitted through the production of coal, natural gas, and oil. National Geographic says that since the Industrial Revolution, around 20% of the planet's warming can be attributed to methane. Methane can also cause major health issues to the millions of people living near oil and gas operations. Last month, world leaders assembled in Glasgow, Scotland, and quite possibly their biggest accomplishment was a pledge that will significantly cut methane emissions by 2023. Let's throw it to Katie over in Scotland to explain the significance of this agreement. It's important in the climate thing because methane is one of the biggest polluters for effect and obviously climate change, and it's the biggest greenhouse gas with the biggest impact. So, you know, if you minimize that, um, you're doing pretty well. And that's obviously the best way to try and get it down without making it too drastic at the same time because you obviously want to try and make it realistic so people will actually stick to it um mm-hmm. i think the methane pledge is something that does that it's realistic in its goals and it is achievable it just depends if everyone s- sticks to it i suppose yeah and on that point of if everyone does stick to it kind of the highlight of what you were researching was how a couple big players china russia india um, I'm sure a couple others who are the top three methane emitters in the world didn't sign it. What, like, can this pledge still be effective without the, uh, the top three methane emitters? I mean, it will still be effective. It's just, it's obviously not going to be as effective as they wanted it to be. Cause, um, the, those top countries, uh, especially Russia, China and India, they are the top three polluters in the world. So they account for as much methane pollution as the rest of the world put together. Wow. Um, but hopefully as time goes on, they might either join the pledge. I know China, I think I mentioned it in the end of the article, China's already looking at a different strategy to work on the methane pledge without actually having to officially sign the pledge. Um, but I think in terms of especially India, um, they all have difficulty signing with that pledge, mainly just for economic purposes. A lot of their economy relies on things that cause methane production. So trying to get them to sign the pledge is probably going to be quite difficult. And as you mentioned with India, it's an economic issue. Is that the same for all three or are there different motivations and reasonings at play? Uh, China was... India and Australia were economic purposes. Like there would be too much Im- like negative impact on their industries that they mainly survive on. Whereas China was more sort of sceptical about the data that was coming out of it and they didn't think it was a realistic 
um, goal to be working towards. They thought it was too high set and there wasn't enough research and data built onto it to actually make it reliable. Um, but as I said, after discussion with the US, they've decided that they're going to not officially sign the pledge, but like move towards it, toward, like, towards their own goals that are quite in line already with what the pledge outlines. Yeah. And as you said, China is moving towards that goal making progress there. Are the other countries, will they be able to find a way to transition towards more renewable energy sources moving forward? And do you see them potentially signing it in the future or some, some means I, of signing it? I think, um, I think India and Russia would be the more difficult ones. As I said, India doesn't have the economy to be able to remove such a big sector of their like economic income for the entire country and just replace it with something else. Um, Russia probably do, but I just can't see it happening because they do make so much, so much money from those industries. I just can't see them thinking that it's a good idea to just knock it out altogether. Um, whereas I think Australia, out of, out of the four that were listed, I think Australia is probably one that could switch over to be on the pledge, but they would need to do a lot of investment in renewable energy, which is completely doable in Australia because they do have the, the wind power and the wave power to be able to do that. But in terms of economic, I don't know if it's something that they can do. I don't know a lot about the Australian economy, but I think out of the four of them, most likely they would be the next one to switch. Mm -hmm. And assuming at least a couple of them, say Australia, say possibly China, do switch come 2030, assuming we meet the goals of reducing uh, methane emission by 30% by that year, mm -hmm. what's the next step after that? So I know 2050 has been talked about as when they want to reach net zero, but what is the next step at 2030 um, as far as policy goes and as far as goals? Uh, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I did try looking into this, but there was a lot of debate about whether this is something that needs to be looked at again in five years and see how far we've actually gotten with the current pledge before we start planning on the next one. You're kind of jumping ahead of yourself when you do that. Um, I think it's just going to be a case of seeing how well this pledge actually goes down first and see if everyone sticks to it and it is manageable before the next stage of becoming completely like net zero, as you said, and um, need to actually see if it works first before we start going towards that. That's interesting because it seems like overseas um, in Europe, there's a lot bigger focus on these issues. I know America is willing to do this and on board with the pledge, but as far as media goes and as far as, young people like myself goes, if I walk down the street at uh, my college and I asked, say, 10 people, 20 people, I'm sure one or two would know what I was talking about when I brought up the Medicaid pledge. I'm curious to know, over in Scotland, just Europe in general, how, how was COP26 covered and specifically this pledge? To what extent was this a big deal in Scotland? Uh, COP26 was a massive deal for Scotland. Um, the pledge, not so much. I don't know. I don't think everyone would know about the pledge if you were to ask them about it. 
I think more people were more involved socially in COP26 than they were in the actual like the little bits, like the nitty gritty stuff, like actually what the pledges were and what was going to happen and what people were actually signing and who wasn't signing and things like that. But um, the protests and everything seen thousands of people out every single day. Like there was, there's constant coverage of it. There's constant talk on the radio of it. <laughs> Some of us are actually kind of glad it's over because it was <laughs> massive dis like disruption all the time. But it's obviously for a, a good cause, but there was, there was constantly stuff going on, constantly being spoken about. And I think it was a good thing because it's bringing a lot of attention towards climate issues. And I think a lot of people through COP26, because it's been in your face 24-7, a lot of people have been thinking about it a lot more that probably wouldn't have before. Because um, I know like a lot of my friends especially um, aren't really that interested in things like that, but because it's been right in front of them 24 seven for the past two weeks, not really had much of a choice other than to like learn about it, you know, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting and really surprising. Um, I know we did research in my class leading up to it, but if I wasn't a part of that, the general population, especially for a young group of people that this really affects our generation more than any other mm -hmm. really was more focused on other political issues, other events going on. Um, it's something that really surprised me. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been uh, very, very eye-opening um, as far as everything that's going on with COP26 and even just other issues that might not have been talked about. Thank you, Katie, for coming on. No, it was nice to be here. Thank you for listening. Representatives from almost 200 countries at COP26 spoke dozens of languages from around the world. So how could they all get on the same page? On the next episode, Penn State's Anna Deshayas talks about the language barriers and more with Hashib Adnan from the University of Strathclyde. Join us next time for COP Talk Across the Pond, a climate conversation between Belisario College of Communication students at Penn State and student journalists at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow.